Skywalker was seduced by the dark side of the Force. I've encountered a divergence in the Force. Located around a person. A boy. Grave danger, I fear, in his training. Is he not the chosen one? I don't think the boy can handle it. Why are you asking this of me? Something's happening. I'm not the Jedi I should be. Our people are dying, Senator. We must do something quickly to stop the Federation. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Fear is the path of the dark side. I sense much fear in you. I know what's been troubling you. I won't let these visions come true, Master Yoda. They see your future. They know your power will be too strong to control. The Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen, begun. The Clone War has. Surely, you have felt it. The Dark Side has never been stronger. Episode 38 of Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Star Wars prequels. Oh yes, the oh-so-magnificent, yet underwhelming, yet somehow amazing Star Wars prequels. If you're a fan, or if you hate it, I think we can all agree that Star Wars was at least for my age group, the prequels were what we had. And the prequels were what we went and saw in theaters. Attack of the Clones was grade two for me, so I was maybe seven or eight, somewhere in there. And uh, I do remember that one very, very well. It was my first major Star Wars experience. And then, of course, I had to go again when Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005. And that was a whole thing. When Revenge of the Sith came out, I remember the 7-Elevens in town 
had like these 3D cups. I mean, you see them everywhere now, but like back then they didn't really have them yet. And it was like the first one that I had seen where it was like a 3D design similar to like the ones on, on the front page of an agenda that would like move or that, you know, when you turn it side to side, the, the character will, will change or whatever. And I just remember it was, I don't remember what, what season it was, but it had to be summer or spring because my dad finally took me one day to the 7-Eleven and we got that cup and it came with this like Darth Vader lid. And like when you rotated this cup, it was like, it had like Vader, but then when you rotated it, it was like Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting on the volcano. And for me personally, that was as cool as it ever got. <laughs> That's as cool as anything could get. Um, so I remember I went and saw Revenge of the Sith in theaters, and that movie still holds up for me. The only one I hadn't seen in theaters was uh, The Phantom Menace, which is the first one. And the first one that we're going to talk about. The Phantom Menace, for me, <laughs> is uh, it's an interesting ride. you got to really go in kind of with this greater respect for George Lucas, uh, the creator of Star Wars. And you have to, you have to sort of go into it with this idea of, okay, this is how he envisioned the story. And this is the technology they had in 2001 or 1999, whenever they, I think it came out in 1999, this one. So they're shooting probably around 97, 98. And, uh, yeah, the technology just wasn't there. But I will say, recently I've rewatched um, *Phantom Menace*, and it's really good because they updated the CGI on Disney, and it does look a lot better. Um, and the *Phantom Menace* for me, it'll always hold a special place because I was at my grandparents' for Christmas, and my parents had gotten me the *Phantom Menace* as a Christmas gift, and I remember opening that thing. And it was in this like clear plastic case, essentially. So on the front, if you remember the Phantom Menace, they have the the cover and it has obviously the main players like Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. And then you have uh, Andrew, is it Andrew Lloyd, I think his name is, who plays young Anakin? I'm not, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that's his name. I know it's Lloyd. There's something about Lloyd in there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Padme's on the front too. You know, Natalie Portman and then Darth Maul. And that's what really stands out, right? That's my first introduction to Darth Maul. And that's cool as a kid, you know, because you love Darth Maul. How can you not? You know, he's got, he's, he's red and black. Like those are really cool colors and they made him look so good. So damn good. And they actually cast, I believe it was like a stunt double or some, yeah, like he wasn't like a full-blown actor by any means. He was a stunt double and uh, it paid off massively in that final fight scene between Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. And you get very little Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace. It's true. You just do. And uh, every minute that he's on screen, I'm drawn to it. And I really love... uh, 
the character Darth Maul in general. And I hope to see him back on the big screen in some form because the only other taste that I've ever gotten of Darth Maul um, is like on the big screen was in the Han Solo movie where you get sort of the, the, the computer generated version of him um, just on display at one point near the end of the film. And that was like a surprise. And he looked more similar to um, the Clone Wars version of uh, of Darth Maul, the animated show. And I've never watched that. You know, there's a lot of these sort of obscure characters from Star Wars that like my friends have recommended to me to watch uh, the Clone Wars. Um, but I just, for whatever reason, I haven't gotten around to it or just hasn't, like, I'm just not really interested in, like, diving back into into that, you know? Like, a mid-2000s cartoon. Like, it seems really good, and it seems like a lot of backstory, but, like, I'm just not quite that hardcore into Star Wars to, like, want to go into that show. But for me, like, Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace, the final fight scene where he's got the double-edged lightsaber, it's phenomenal. It's some of the best lightsaber battle that we've gotten to date, like honestly to date, like we haven't really seen really anything cooler on the big screen that I can remember um, with the lightsaber battle besides obviously I'm leaving out Revenge of the Sith because that one's the all time with Anakin and Obi-Wan. But uh, as far as like the new sequels go and all this stuff, like man, it just doesn't compare. It just doesn't. And The Phantom Menace is a bad movie with a couple of bad characters like Jar Jar Pinks. Like, it was just ridiculous. Um, and it didn't work for me at all. Like, it's hilarious. And it still is hilarious. Um, but he's that annoying character that, like, uh, it just, it takes away from the film at times for me. Um, but it's still, like, it's very, it's very funny at the same time. So I don't, I don't have beef with Jar Jar guys. Like Jar Jar is cool. We're cool. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and from, listen, from Phantom Menace, you know, we get this performance by, uh, I'm, I'm going to call, I'm just going to call him Andrew Lloyd. You know, it'd be a lot quicker for me to just look this up, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it today. I just don't feel like looking it up. So I'm calling him Andrew Lloyd and I might be thinking of Andrew Lloyd Webber and I really hope that it's not Andrew Lloyd Webber that I'm thinking about, because as you know, he's just a composer of several musicals. And I could very well be just getting this name wrong of this kid. But anyways, the kid who plays young Anakin in Phantom Menace is recast in Attack of the Clones. And in Attack of the Clones, we get the sort of more advanced Obi-Wan. We have him with the long hair and the beard. My absolute favorite look for Obi-Wan was Attack of the Clones. He just looks so good, uh, the whole movie. And Ewan McGregor, I mean, let's be honest, like Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan is just the best, man. He's, there's nobody else I would have cast as Obi-Wan, younger or older. He's just perfect. And he literally grew with the character, which is why, you know, for me, I'm a little bit sad about the, the new... Kenobi show because it just it didn't really do the character justice like it had its moments and you know the big payoff with Vader at the end uh you know seeing Obi-Wan get some closure on that final battle with Revenge of the Sith it's uh those were the best moments for me but it just didn't do 
Obi-Wan justice like the prequels do. Like, man, is Ewan so good as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But getting back to Attack of the Clones, like, obviously, we have an older sort of teenage Anakin, and we get our introduction to Hayden Christensen. And Hayden Christensen gets a lot of beef. I know he does. And there's that, there's the telltale scene in Attack of the Clones where he's, I slaughtered them like animals, you know, like, and he's just ridiculous. Like the acting is over the top and it's, it's, it's not good. It's bad, period. You know, there's no sugarcoat in it. It's shit. But he was a great Anakin. That's just a fact. I just feel like it's not a plausible argument to have a couple of scenes where Hayden Christensen's yelling funny to say that he wasn't a good Anakin. Because he's literally spot on for what I imagined as Anakin. And I didn't even know the... Like, to be honest, like, I was kind of growing up with Star Wars having already existed, right? Like, all of those movies came out in the 80s and early 90s. And I, I don't even know when Return of the Jedi came out. I think maybe 95... 96, something like that. I don't know. Maybe even earlier than that. Could have been 92, 93 even. Um, But like that all happened before I was born. So like, yeah, I had watched Star Wars, but like kind of getting reintroduced and then learning like, oh, this is part of the original uh, trilogy. Okay, this is cool. Like you start putting the pieces together as a kid, right? And you start figuring out like, damn, like this is a bigger story. Like Anakin is who becomes Vader, you know, and then the internet fires up, you know, mid 2000s. And you start, you know, like, I, I just think it was a cool time to be a Star Wars fan because like, like people were always Star Wars fans and like diehard Star Wars fans. Right. But like the prequels got a lot of hate from the people who loved the OG Star Wars. And that's okay because I get that feeling. I know what that feels like when you have characters that you love and then they're tampered with or they're fucked with or they're, they change the story and it doesn't look the same. Or, you know, in Star Wars's case, George Lucas made the prequels very political. And Star Wars is always political, man. It always has been. Even when you look back on, you know, the resistance and all of this stuff. I mean, not even look back, but like the resistance and stuff happening in the, in the new uh, sequels that are coming out. Like 7, 8, and 9 that have just come out. Uh, and, you know... I would skip those all together <laughs> if I if I could, you know, because I just, I didn't like them and I have beef with the sequels, but that's for a whole other day. I'm focusing on the prequels. It's just when you think about the time that we grew up in with the prequels, where like these, there's these OG Star Wars fans that didn't like the prequels all that much. It's cool that we kind of grew up as kids loving the prequels. And, like, we have this, like, special place in our heart for the prequels, you know? Like, yeah. And, hey, Revenge of the Sith, it's a good movie. Attack of the Clones is a good movie. There's some bad moments. There's some bad CGI. But I would argue that in the trilogy of the prequels, The Phantom Menace is the only film that's kind of worth saying, okay, you know, it could have been better. Or it was a little dry. You know, I get those comments for sure. But Attack of the Clones with the amount of action we got and, you know, sort of introducing uh, Boba Fett the way that they did, you know, by having, I think his, was his dad's name Django? 
or something. Or yeah, I think it was Django Fett. Um, and anyways, you know, that paired with Samuel Jackson with the purple lightsaber as Mace Windu and like the giant stadium that Count Dooku and his minions sort of uh, held the, the, the few Jedi that they had captured hostage and like they had those beasts coming at them and running at them and they were each sort of like selected by a different beast. I remember like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Obi-Wan there. He's up against like a praying mantis with these like sharp claws. <laughs> that thing. The, <laughs> Such wild noises. And like that's Star Wars too, right? We had some weird characters, man. Like General Grievous, I'll get to. In Revenge of the Sith, like that dude is weird. Like, I don't care if you liked Grievous or didn't. I loved parts about Grievous, but you know, he's like a he's like a robot with like throat cancer or something, man. He, like he's he's he was an awful, awful character. And it just didn't look the way it should have at times. I don't know. It was it like Grievous was weird for me in general, but like a good weird. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what the prequels had. They had so much good weird. Jar Jar aside, you know, they learn from their mistakes because if you watch Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, there is almost no Jar Jar. Jaja. Abuba. It's Abuba Jaja. You know, like, just ridiculous. I'm not going to try and try and imitate uh, Jar Jar there. Although, uh, you know, I know that a few of you out there might... Uh, might want to hear that, but it's too bad for you. Anyways, Attack of the Clones, great film. Natalie Portman at her best. And I mean, the love story between Anakin and Padme becomes very believable in Attack of the Clones. It just does. Because, you know, you have them traveling together and spending this time together well, you know, Obi-Wan's on his own mission or, you know, stuff's going down with Count Dooku, but it's like Anakin's not really involved yet. He's kind of just been assigned to Padme's, Padme's side and he's kind of her bodyguard essentially. And it makes sense. Like they, they really do a good job with the chemistry because I feel the chemistry between Hayden Christensen and uh, Natalie Portman. And this is where Hayden Christensen does a good job, you know? Like, he is, he's tortured in Attack of the Clones. And although the Jedi haircut is a little bit silly and a little bit boyish, he still rocks it to this day. Like, you know, the new Kenobi show, he's, Hayden Christensen, at whatever age he is now, probably 40, 45, is still rocking the teenage braid. <laughs> they threw that wig on him for the Kenobi show, and I was like, ah, okay, like de-age him all you want but we know he's 50 almost <laughs> like you know I'm just joking I don't think Hayden Christensen is 50 anyways what I want to get to here is Revenge of the Sith because although there's the the classic ending to Attack of the Clones where you know there's this big build-up of what's going to happen in the third movie and Anakin loses his arm to Dooku and all this stuff well, Revenge of the Sith brought it in a whole other way. We get a more advanced Anakin. We get this older, wiser Obi-Wan. And these two have developed a brothership, a friendship, 
And they really try and drive that home in the first couple of scenes of Revenge of the Sith. Like that first half an hour to an hour is just really building up that relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Because let's be honest, like Anakin is probably, like they're playing him like 25, 30, I think, in Revenge of the Sith is what I gather. And, you know, Obi-Wan has become sort of his father. And they they lay those, uh, they lay that, that foundation in Attack of the Clones. You know, they have those sort of father-son moments. But Anakin specifically in Revenge of the Sith, Hayden takes a huge jump uh, into Anakin's shoes just before he becomes Vader. And we sort of see this character go through a massive change in this film. Imagine reading that script if you're Hayden Christensen and you're like, okay, like this is the movie. Like I'm becoming Darth Vader. Like, and I have to be evil. Like I have to turn bad. And I mean, there was, and with how poorly he did in Attack of the Clones with that sort of anger, he really hones his craft in uh, Revenge of the Sith. I really feel that. I really feel that he, he takes it down a notch and he sort of steps back a bit and just sort of lets his looks do the talking in his acting a bit. And you know, that there's my favorite scenes in Revenge of the Sith is, and this is just me, the dark black heart, the, the dark soul that I am when I'm, I'm a movie watcher. My favorite scenes in Revenge of the Sith are honestly when Anakin is like standing on the balcony uh, on the volcano planet and he's like crying like there's like these slow tears coming down and they have that beautiful score that haunting score in the background um and i just yeah those are my favorite scenes when he's got his hood up and there's sort of like you can sort of see half his face or i just i i think of the classic scene where he you know shows up to the volcano planet and like slaughters everyone uh in the in the control room there and uh Anakin when he finishes that he sort of turns around and it's a slow pan on his face and he's got like the red eyes and they did a good job in the Kenobi series because when we do see uh Vader's face gets shattered by Kenobi's lightsaber you see um Anakin's face again and you sort of see the eyes and as and this is my favorite scene in the Kenobi series is you see the blue lightsaber reflecting off of Anakin's face when he's sort of saying I am not your failure Obi-Wan you did not kill Anakin Skywalker and then it's sort of like the red lightsaber takes over the blue fades and the red takes over and you see his eye turn to that same sort of orangey red color that it does in Revenge of the Sith. And he says, I did. Like, I killed Anakin Skywalker. And it's, it's, it is, oh, it is vicious, man. It's a vicious stare that Hayden Christensen has as Vader. And uh, it still sends a chill down my spine. And, you know, with Revenge of the Sith... Jumping all the way back there, you know, I I do love the stuff with Palpatine. I thought he could have been a little bit more threatening. He's more funny for me in Revenge of the Sith. But 
obviously Ian McDermott is forever going to be Palpatine. And, you know, I know he is in Rise of the Scott, Rise of Skywalker, which is the ninth Star Wars. So he'll just do it forever and ever. <laughs> and rightfully so. He's the best at playing um, the Emperor. And obviously, Chancellor Palpatine, uh, he, he has a bit of a character development. But for me, it was like slow, slow development throughout the two prequel movies. And then all of a sudden, Revenge of the Sith happens. And it's like, oh yeah, he's a bad guy. And this is how we're going to lay these little foundations of how he's going to be the bad guy. And like, he felt really rushed into becoming the emperor, you know, it, it really felt rushed for me, but I still liked it. And you know, the, the choice that Anakin's faced with when Mace Windu has Palpatine cornered, you know, and he's got to choose like, you must choose. (laughs) And it's like, don't let them kill me. (laughs) You know, like, and Anakin's got to, he, he cuts off Mace Windu's arm and then Palpatine just like completely comes back to life and just like blows Mace Windu away, as you all know. And that was a sad but like honorable death if he's dead. I mean, there's rumors out there that Samuel Jackson's Mace Windu is living in a bunker somewhere, sort of, you know, making adjustments to the purple lightsaber and could resurface through all kinds of different plot lines, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it'll ever be touched again personally, but for me, Mace Windu was given like a really honorable death (laughs) by being electrocuted and literally shot into traffic and like disappears into the city. It is, you know, it's it's a good death for a good character. And that's why I love the prequels too. Darth Maul, although still alive with half a body, you know, able to be reattached. Like the Darth Maul we see in Han Solo is the Darth Maul with the uh, with the robotic legs because he gets sliced right in half by Obi-Wan in the first movie in Phantom Menace. And that's a great death. Qui-Gon Jinn. You know, I didn't talk enough about Liam Neeson, but, you know, they, they, they brought him back too for the Kenobi series, and I like that. You know, that's fan service, but that's all it felt like. You know, it all felt like things that people have wanted for a really long time and they just put them all in the same sort of show and rushed it out. And it's it's not that it was bad for me. It's just that it was not good. And that's what makes me kind of a little disappointed is all. But Revenge of the Sith is a whole other ballgame, a whole other story. And as I just spoke about the honorable deaths we get to Order 66, and for all of you that know that like Order 66 was what changed the game for Star Wars, because you just, you kind of wonder throughout all the prequels while you're watching, you're like, well, everything's kind of happy-go-lucky, like there's this, there's government, there's rules, there's Jedi, there's, you know, like lots of things are in place to protect them from whatever it is that's coming. And then you see Order 66 be executed by the Emperor. And uh, he's literally got everyone in his pocket. And that's some of the coolest death scenes in any Star Wars film. Because it's like, it's a montage of just these Jedi being killed. And being sort of, 
I don't know, blindsided. They had no idea it was coming. They got betrayed by their own squadrons and stuff. And, you know, Yoda ultimately survives. <laughs> of course he does. Because he's uh, the ultimate master. The master Jedi Yoda. And he's got some cool flipping around scenes. I remember seeing Attack of the Clones in theaters and seeing Yoda flip around with his green lightsaber. That uh, that made me go pretty crazy. That made me love that. <laughs> and uh, I still love that to this day. And even in Revenge of the Sith, when he's fighting Palpatine, it's... Uh, it's good shit. It's good shit. And um, that's a really good lightsaber battle between those two. But what makes Revenge of the Sith so good is that that lightsaber battle between Yoda and Palpatine is literally overshadowed by the greatest lightsaber battle of all time. Two best friends, two brothers, father and son relationship battle it out on this volcanic planet where i'm sorry but the stakes feel so high during that fight scene because of all the danger that they're surrounded by all this hot magma this lava you know they're running around on all these terraces they're doing these crazy flips through the air they're flying around on these um like cables hanging off of these different towers and stuff like it's just it's the most like fantastical, outrageous, but awesome lightsaber battle of all time. And the emotion between Hayden and Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor didn't just act out these scenes. They took part in, and I know lots of people know this, they took part in stunt double courses, essentially, and they learned how to use these lightsabers po like properly. You can see Ewan McGregor on all kinds of different talk shows, and people will bring out a one of those like replica lightsabers that like people can buy that light up and make the noises. And you should see him flip the thing around. And you watch if you want a cool video, a cool YouTube video, go on YouTube and look up Revenge of the Sith, Hayden Christensen, and Ewan McGregor doing their stunts with the lightsabers. Don't know what exactly the video was called, but if you were to type in Revenge of the Sith lightsaber practice or something, that would come up and you would see the steps that these men had to go through practicing with those lightsabers and all of the choreography that went into that final battle. It's not just two guys slinging like two swords at each other for 25 minutes it's not that you know and it's and it's not just them doing that for a crowd of nerds that loves to see these things light up it's like you feel the emotion and you feel the rage coming from Anakin and you feel the heartbreak for Obi-Wan when he finally defeats Anakin and it's like they made sure that that death scene or in brackets in quotations death scene for Anakin was dark and yeah he just you know this he's got one limb left essentially by the time Obi-Wan's done with him and he sets on fire and Anakin sort of burns away and that's sort of the irony that's sort of the the metaphor if you will is Anakin's soul is burning away and you get Vader left this like hollow shell 
this sort of broken man, this Frankenstein of machine, man and machine. And he's not only does he have a, a, a darkened soul, but he's lost so much. He's literally lost everything except for the twins. <laughs> that's, that's my only beef with Revenge of the Sith is when the twins get born because, you know, obviously uh, Padme, she sadly dies in childbirth, just like Anakin's prophecy, which is even more heartbreaking. The whole reason Anakin ends up going bad is because he wants to try and save Padme with powers that can save people from death because he keeps getting a vision that Padme is going to die in childbirth. So in, in his anger, in trying to protect her, he killed her. He ends up choking her and she, you know, she dies in childbirth. Like, and you wonder, like, that's the beauty of the, of the script, right? You wonder if, if Anakin had just not lost his shit and tried so hard to protect her, if he would have just played it cool, you know, Luke and Leia would have a father. And, uh, that's the tragedy that is Vader, right? And obviously when, when Vader is, uh, is complete when the robots are finished making him, if you will. And he does the slow rise to the score, the beautiful score. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he gets up there, gets up on the table and Palpatine's standing there and he asks Palpatine where Padme is. And he says, in your anger, you killed her. No, I couldn't have, you know, like he's, he's threatening and like things are exploding and man, like Vader is so cool. And then when they're building the Death Star, you see, like, that's such a good freaking scene in Revenge of the Sith where Vader walks up to, to Palpatine, who's already standing on the ship and they're just, you know, Vader crosses his arms and they're just looking out into space and you see the Death Star being built. And you just get chills, man. You just do. Because it comes full circle. And then obviously episode 4, A New Hope, starts with Luke Skywalker's story. Which is Anakin's son. Okay. I think I've let it all out. I think I've let out all of my little quirks. And all of my little excitements about... Star Wars prequels. Um, it's been a great episode. This has been a lot of fun today because I love the prequels and I love Star Wars. And uh, I feel like if I was going to do any Star Wars content, the prequels were maybe what I was most familiar with. So I felt like this was a, maybe more of a comfortable place for me to start introducing Star Wars to this podcast. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. I'll see you on the next one.